You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. Our sponsor today is Skunk Brother Spirits, coupon code DWA10. Please check them out. They're amazing. And my co-host today, wearing a very fitting shirt for the Literary Briefs episode, is Danielle Orsino. Don't Don't forget to like and subscribe, because if you're watching or listening, why not let us know what you think? So hit that like and subscribe button and leave us a little feedback, because we love that. Thank you very much. Our amazing guest today is Chris Burns. We cheer as if we have a studio audience, which I would like to eventually, but that could be dangerous as well. So we'll see how we're living in our sitcom heads. Maybe every other time. Yeah. I would like to be able to hit a button that's like a laugh button. We need a soundboard. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm sure there's an app that you could just download that's like laugh track. Yes. Emotion track, pie track, like the standard five sounds. It's true, but my producers would probably be like, what is that? What the hell is that? Oh, we'd get in trouble for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about what we're drinking today. So I am drinking, um, I drank this the other day. It turned out very well. Mm. That's sarcasm. But um, it is actually orange juice with elderberry and vodka. I'm still getting over my covid cough which comes up and visits every now and then but this elderberry and orange juice which i was wondering if it would be a good combination is actually a really good combination so what are you drinking danielle i'm still recovering a little bit so i'm still sticking with my chai latte but i'm doing it in my maleficent cup this time so i've switched from the witch from snow white to maleficent my favorite so i do enjoy that i've decided this vodka is helping with my cough this is not health advice. Nobody do that. Okay, Chris, what are you drinking today? No, you're a doctor. That's health advice and I'm taking it. Um, I am drinking a gin and tonic and it is aviation gin. So uh, one of my favorites and I'm drinking it out of a Halloween cup because it is spooky season. Very nice. Wait, isn't aviation Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds. We just won Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds. Yeah. Call out to Mr. Reynolds. Okay, Ryan, like, follow and subscribe this podcast. We all love you. Everyone loves you. Yes, we got to make sure we were like, Ryan Reynolds was a part of this podcast. And he'll be like, what the hell are they talking about? Yeah. Well, anyway, we'll get I don't think he's going to call, but if he did. Um, you know, when I first heard that he was coming out with the gin, like kind of everything he does that's outside of acting, it's like, is he messing with us? Is that really going to be good? And it's really good. Like it genuinely is an awesome product. You know what's interesting is um, uh, the Rock has a tequila, and mm-hmm. the guys that were um, on Vampire Diaries that played Damon and Stefan, whose names escape me right now, but they made a really, really good whiskey. And oh. so I actually think a lot of times when the actors put their names on it, they actually make sure it's good so that they don't get called out for a crappy product like all the actors and stuff that do the um liquid death water and stuff which is yeah one of the best ad campaigns ever but 
it's it's interesting i think they have to but i agree on aviation gym it is very good chris what do you write for the people listening out there in the listening audience i write predominantly science fiction and uh, a little bit of also just normal fiction and i write a lot in addition to that about circuses and fairs circuses and fairs what yeah why not okay what made you uh, there, uh, I have so many questions. Wow, there's so many questions. You were just going to dive into that bag. Yeah, I was like, wow, let's open that can of worms. We so um, before we do, because I feel like that's an epic can, uh, when did you start writing? Where did where did the genesis of your writing come from? Um, I guess I always was interested in it. I distinctly remember in like elementary school liking that part of class more. And I think I wrote a story in fourth grade about a vampire soccer ball that I wish I still had, because it makes no sense. Also, I never watched soccer, so it came, I must have been inspired by someone around me. Um, I've never really had an answer to that, but I started writing seriously in, you know, high school, just as a, uh, you know, emotional kid of the 90s who needed to be doing something artsy. And then it went from there. I wrote all through college, and I've always loved it. Very, very cool. Okay, now I have to ask about the circus fair. So you got to take us on that journey. What made you start writing about circuses and fairs? I just think it's a fertile ground for fiction to take place in. Like these are kind of mobile places and they have different settings and strange characters and uh, you can do a lot with it. And I've always felt like I enjoy going to the state fair every year and I've always been in two fairs and circuses and movies that take place in those environments and things like that. So it's just a, a thing that I like that I think you can write good stories in. And there's like a lot of interesting people to work with in that. Kind of no, that makes it. I, I wrote for an anthology called Demonic Carnival. Um, so I do understand that. That was a ton of fun. I wrote about the, you know, the zero gravity ride. Yeah. On mm -hmm. the so my story. The Gravitron. In that ride, but it involves aliens. It's it was pretty fun and demons, That's awesome. obviously, demonic carnival. So, of course, um, which then made it really scary. The next time I saw that ride, I was like, I'm not going. There. Yeah, have you ridden it since? <laughs> um, no, no, because I was like, uh, well, that not only that, a lot of rides like the rides that fall. Like I love roller coasters. Um, as long as they don't bang your head around, which mm -hmm. it's funny. I don't know if we pay attention as much to these things when we're kids, but as long as it, like you're, it's a smooth ride. There are several like, <clears throat> like the roller coasters that have the, you know, harnesses that come down over your shoulder and kind of hold you in place. I'm all about mm -hmm. those. <clears throat> Ones where I feel like I keep hitting up and down as I hit things or my head hits, I'm not interested. But I also don't like, when um free the fall. drop your free fall rides because i don't love that feeling of my stomach going up into other parts of my body like that's not a, a fun sensation i'm not like we this is fun i'm like oh this does not feel good and not like oh my god i'm scared it's this is not a pleasantly fun experience try getting your 65 year old grandmother on that and tricking her into it my cousins did that yeah they got my 60 she was 65 at the time i believe they tricked my grandmother into going on free fall at great adventure by telling her it was like a sightseeing ride to see the entire park so you could decide how long the the lines were and when she was standing on it and they you know 
it drops you and then it like goes by real fast. They told her, no, that's another part. Like you don't have to go on that part of the ride. And she was like, oh, okay. And then they got her up and I'm like, you know, she could have like died of a heart attack. They thought it was the funniest thing. They, they wrote her up and she was like, this is going really high. And they were just like, yeah, no grandma, it's cool. Don't worry about it. And they got to the top and it buzzes. And she was like, what's that? And she didn't even get what's that out of her mouth before that thing dropped. Man, she was pissed off. She didn't talk to them for the whole time. And that was the first thing they got her on. That was one mad grandma. I feel like your family has a mean streak. Yeah, that's- Yes, that's they do. That do. was, that was yeah, that was mom's side. And, and my dad's side is worse, but no, that that's one thing they would never do because me and mom would have like chased them down with a wooden spoon. But yeah, no, no bueno. That could have that gone in a book. That could have been her coming back and getting them all, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's like a good story in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, and most carnival fair rides are terrifying to me because I've watched them put them together and the people yes. that are putting them together, which is more scary to me generally than the actual ride itself is the people who are somehow responsible in determining whether or not this is put together and in a safe thing, so. Yeah, it's only as good as the person tightening the bolts and. Yeah, mm -hmm. so. You know, some of the, I, I, I love carn, I love fair food, but okay, let's, let's ask this question, even though we're not literary briefs, but I have to know, favorite actual carnival fair ride, Chris, you go first, what is your favorite carnival fair ride? The zipper. Oh, it, that's the one that like folds on it, each other, right? Like it goes around in a circle and folds on each other? It does go around in a circle. It's the one where it's like an oblong uh, frame mm -hmm. and then there's buckets that go around it and they're independently spinning. But like just with the force of gravity. Kind of. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's kind of the worst, most aggressive one. Which is wild. <laughs> yep. Okay, Danielle. I like the swings. Oh yeah. I've always liked the swings. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good with neither one of those. I actually really love a Ferris wheel, but yeah. again, I go, this was put together because it comes flat, but there are people, how safe is this ride? And especially when they put you on it and they're waiting for people to come. So they like put you to the top and you're just sitting there for like 10 minutes. I'm like, okay, just now, win. now I'm afraid. Okay, but just I have to ask you favorite yep. fair food. Oh my God, I am not eating enough. Favorite fair food. Oh, I'm going first again. Uh, the cinnamon rolls. What? The cinnamon rolls. Um, I don't know yeah. if you're the fair that goes to your area does it, but the California fairs have this like epically famous cinnamon roll. And it's a single bite of it might kill you. It's like you could feel yourself <laughs> being hurt by it in real time, but it's amazing. Oh, wow. Um, Danielle? I, I, I don't remember really eating at a fair. I gotta well, be honest, like I don't, probably because I was always afraid I'd get sick if I went on the rides, but I don't really remember eating at a fair. So I happen to love fried Oreos. They really shouldn't exist, but fried, fried Oreos. Oreos. So it's the, what is the, um, it's the batter that they use to make, um, oh my gosh, what are they called? Uh, corn dogs. No, not corn dogs. Yeah. It's the, where they mm -hmm. pour the batter in and then they you put powdered sugar and sometimes oh, strawberries okay. on the top. Oh, like a Zeppel okay, Zeppel or yeah. Funnel cakes. They use the okay. batter that they use to make funnel cakes. They dip the Oreos in them and then fry them. No, yeah. I've never. And, oh, 
Danielle, when next we meet, we will solve this problem. So <laughs> you could do it at home. You could. Um, those yeah. are the best of the fried dessert foods that come out of Paris, like the fried Snickers or whatever. Like fried Oreos are fried Snickers. Wait a they minute. They fry every every candy bar you can imagine. They fry. Yeah, they fry the fried Oreos. The winner. Danielle, we got been. the fair. I don't know how you don't have this experience because no, never. Fair, it's not even you'll throw up. It's that you'll have a cardiac arrest probably. Or Chris a, just blew my mind with a fried Snicker. I've never heard of this. A fried Snicker. Yeah, I've never. There is a Chris. You just blew me. Blew me away. both at the same time and see what happens. Like just give it. A I don't know. Round. My head might explode. Yeah. I, I don't. So in Florida, um, I moved up to North Carolina. Uh, over a year ago now, but in Florida, when COVID happened, um, there was a couple people that got a really, I think it's a really good idea. They opened up um, fair food as drive-throughs in a couple parking lots and they're still That's there. So like you Sounds could good. drive in and get the various fair foods, turkey legs, you know, corn dogs, uh, you know, funnel cakes, like you, they, they have it set. I mean, it's probably like one of the worst things in the world to go <laughs> gather foods from but i thought that is a brilliant idea because fairs and all that shut down but at least you could make money off of the food booths food yeah why i wouldn't want that near my house but it sounds amazing yeah, yeah. well so you live in california i used to live in california you have in and out burger <coughs> i do. am yeah. so glad there isn't an in and out burger <laughs> in a way near me because I, that would be the end of me i loved it when i lived out there all the time Double double animal style strawberry shake fries done. That would be my every single day, and I would weigh five thousand pounds because. <laughs> okay, back to writing. So you um, when you know when we kind of chatted, do you have anything published? I have uh, a lot of short stories published. I focus more on short stories, uh, so I have that. I don't have a novel published. I'm working on one that is uh, very much in the final round of editing, and if I you know. Could take a month off work. I could probably finish it, but what are you going to do? Uh, so I have one that's there and it's ready. I'm really excited about it. But as far as current publishing, all just stories. That's, uh, hey, don't say it like that. That's amazing. And, you know, getting published, being published is being published. And some people are really fantastic at short stories and some people are not. So what was the first piece that you had published? Oh, I guess the first piece I had published was, I mean, a long time ago now and on a website that no longer exists and it was just a really terrible piece of poetry i'm sure um and i don't even know if i have a copy of it around because it was so long ago that like computers have updated um my first thing that was published that was really kind of you know relevant and kind of current that i liked let me see Oh my God, I should be able to answer that offhand. Oh, it was, okay, so I'm not trying to talk about this all day because I really do prefer the science fiction part of writing, but it was a uh, a story that is circus themed. And okay. Yeah, Love it'll that. happen. What, so what it, about? it was about a, what's that? What was it about? It was about a uh, girl who grows up in a traveling, like a standard state fair doing the circuit. And she is really, really not into it and wants to rebel against her family and wants to leave. So uh, we have that kind of reputation and concept of kids who want to run away with the circus. And she wanted to run away to be normal. And so everything she's experiencing is like, she sees real life on TV and she knows like all these restaurants that look really fancy that she's never eaten at because she eats fair food all the time. 
and she really wants to like go to college and have a super boring job because her jobs are all running around the fair doing things like working for Barker's and stuff. And so it's kind of a flip on that story of running away from the circus. Very oh, cool. Cute. And what's the novel about? What's that? The novel. What is the novel you're writing about? Very different in theme. <laughs> so uh, the novel is uh, science fiction. It's near future dystopia. And it's about a, uh, the, the basic concept is TSA and airport security is just so much worse. And I feel like fertile ground because no one likes that part of airports. Uh, so a guy is traveling for work and he gets put on the no-fly list when he's in an airport. And airports have evolved into these like huge security states and they're basically fully functional cities uh, that are locked down and have their own police and their own private security. And so he, if he gets seen in the airport, he'll be arrested and he has to go into hiding. And he lives in the airport for years and works with organized crime and kind of does whatever he can to survive. Wow, that sounds fun. That's cool. Um, did you have a horrible TSA experience? <laughs> Actually, I genuinely like airports. It's funny that I wrote something that's very caustic to them because I have no problem with airports. I mean, everybody's had bad TSA experiences for sure. It's not like anyone likes standing in security lines. But I worked at the airport for a couple of years, worked, I interned at the airport for a couple of years. Um, and so I saw a lot of the things up close and the way TSA would operate and the, the kind of weird world of being in that environment every day. And I genuinely do enjoy airports, but I think there's just so much weird otherworldliness to them. So I agree. Some of them, Denver Airport, seem otherworldly. Oh, that's the weirdest one. It is weird. It really is. Is it? Yeah, no, Denver Airport. I don't know. There's just something very almost like Area 51 about it. I don't know how to explain it. I know Ooh. there's underground tunnels and things like that that are a part of it. It's got a weird statue. It's just like when you go there, it's just weird. It's you you feel Ooh. weird. You know, a lot of conspiracy theories about that Denver airport. Yeah. Real? Oh, I got to check that out. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah Google, you'll be terrified. Cool. I got Having done like writing a book about airports, I learned a lot about airports that I didn't need to know just doing research for them. Um, I'm a researcher already. So that was just like the Denver airport comes up a lot in those circles of just being the weirdest place. I've never been there, but. Yeah, no, I've been there. You feel weird when you're there. You do. It's definitely one of those places that you're like, this is just odd. Kind of like when you go into a haunted house, but not the same exact feeling just that kind of feeling if that i don't know if that vodka makes sense but it made sense in my head when i said it out loud we're Good gonna enough. go and we're gonna take a break and we will be right back with drinking with authors howdy listen up i am talking now the question of the hour is who's got a doctor who podcast answer we do Next question. Who's listening to it? Answer. You are. If you're sitting up there in your silly little spaceship and you've got any plans to listen to a Doctor Who podcast, just remember who's standing in your way. And then, do the smart thing. Listen to Earth Station Who right here on the ESO Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. 
Skunk Brother Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. we're back so um what made you decide to, that you wanted to be a published author a lot of people sometimes write for themselves or whatever as because it's therapeutic or cathartic and stuff like that but what made you go you know what i want to share this with the world i think early on my like high school version of writing was more about like therapy and catharsis and those things kind of expressing emotions and understanding them but ultimately uh I would rather, you know, like one day I'll be dead and I want a book out there. I want some version of uh, myself to go on. And I think I write good stories and why wouldn't I want people to read them? And why wouldn't I want them to be in the world? So I was uh, writing and doing other things and, you know, having, you know, my job and all that. And I was like, you know, this is great, but also I think I want to do more writing and take it more seriously and get it out there. How are you planning on publishing your book? Are you planning on, do you have a publisher? I do not. Are you going to self-publish? Are you going to try to shop it around? What is your what is your present plan, master? My plan? present plan is to shop it around. That is, I, I plan on going basically the traditional route and seeing what happens. Very very cool. Um, for the short stories, have you been in any published anthologies and stuff with them? I put a few out there. Um, I've been in. Um, let me see. Not a published anthology uh, yet. I've got like the honorable mention for the, you know, like small group for a couple of them. Like I've been close, but I haven't quite made it. So I did get an honorable mention in the All Ron Hubbard Writers of the Future contest. I know you've had them on your show before. And I feel like that's the closest I've gotten to. Like one day I want to get in that. That's my anthology goal. That's very cool. Um, do you, when you, you know, obviously writing and writing in high school and stuff, do you, have you found a writing tribe yet? Like a group of other writers that you interact with and stuff? I want to say hang out with, but since um, COVID, we don't, we don't, we don't hard. hang anymore. We don't I hang do. out. I, yeah, we don't hang out in anything like the traditional sense. I do have a couple. Uh, I also went to grad school for writing. So I developed kind of community around that and have a few kind of close connections there. I have one kind of real close primary like writing partner that we send each other everything and go back and forth a lot. And then two or three other people that are, you know, close friends who are writers that I can say, read this and tell me what you think. So I have different points of view more than like a writing circle. But 
I do think that's really important to writing and like having people around that you know you can rely on to read things and give you feedback because I can do it with that. What did it look? No, totally. I agree. What was it like in grad school for writing? Because I know some people who've gone to school for English or writing, and sometimes it doesn't um, uh, go favorably for them. They get exhausted with what they have to write and stuff like that. What was Versus that? They want to write. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you have to write all the time. So you're like, I don't want to write anymore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are definitely people in my program that had that happen or a lot of uh, a more common thing that I saw or that friends talked about was like the idea that they were writing and then they put this out and 30 people in a class or 12 or whatever the class number was normally closer to like 10 to 15 would get feedback and they didn't have time to read it or think about it. It was like, I'll put that on a shelf for when I graduate. So they weren't progressing in the sense of like being able to incorporate that information. I loved it. I am really, I am better at school than other things. If I could just be in school professionally my whole life, I would. Uh, so it wasn't an issue for me to be able to turn out the work and keep up on it. And I never felt like it was stressful or hardship in that way. Not that at certain times of year, I wouldn't get you know, kind of exhausted or have a lot to deal with. But, but honestly, that wasn't my issue. I was fine with the output. I, if anything, wish there would have been more like novel writing classes that would have had longer scopes. No, that makes sense. Have you done any outside um, educational classes? You know, we, do, we don't talk about this nearly enough on the show, but actually like, you know, continued education, polishing up skills. Have you done a lot of, um, uh, have you looked into that being a researcher too? Have you looked into the various classes and things like that that you can do out there? I've come across it. I've seen a few that I've thought about. I've never done a formal one. I've, you know, listened to a podcast or two and I've done like NaNoWriMo events and things like that that are more casual, but I've never gone through the, like an Atlas Obscura, here's how to write course or, you know, like I think the most I've ever done was listen to a masterclass. Well, that makes sense. What about, we're about to hit NaNo, um, even though this episode will come out after NaNo, but um, we're about to hit NaNo. Do you do NaNo? Have you, you know, you've got one book that you're almost done with, but have you participated in NaNoWriMo before? Uh, no, my NaNoWriMo is like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I couldn't produce a book in a month. If I did, I would do nothing else. And I still wouldn't finish and I feel really terrible about it. Um, I don't mind going to like NaNoWriMo events. I put them on at my work. So I've been, you know, close to the writers doing it and been encouraging of it. I think it's a good program, but it's not for me on the level that they take it seriously. Understood. How long have you been writing this current book? Uh, I started it when I was in grad school. So I guess, well, now, oh God, because COVID really threw a wrench into everything. So I would have started it in like 2017. But there were okay. long periods where I just put it on a shelf and walked away and didn't do much with it. When, you, when you're at a clip in your writing, how many words per minute can you do? Uh, words per minute. Oh my gosh. Words I don't have any idea. That's an awesome question. I like the look Danielle just got on her face. Like, is she, like, mm -hmm. she know what she's saying? No, it's fine. Supposed to do. <laughs> so I was all I was thinking was, I don't think I could answer that question. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, 700,000. That's an answer. I don't know if it, it's not accurate, but that's how many words a minute. Wow. <laughs> that would be um, quite impressive. You'd have many more novels done if that was. That's true. Case. Yeah, that'd be a very long. It'd be a war and peace. Um, I when I'm at a good click when I clip when I'm really kind of focused and in the zone and doing it, I could easily do ten to twenty pages in an hour. Oh, wow! Uh, That's pretty good, actually. 
It yeah. Would, there would be an awful lot of editing after that. Probably half of those pages would get deleted in the next hour. Okay. Are, do you listen to That's music when, you, when you're writing? No. No? It has, I find it distracting. Okay. Do you ever write in public? Like take your laptop, write at a coffee shop? I can. I have sometimes. I don't typically because I don't have to. But if I, if I was, you know, if I was really like unemployed and had all the time in the world, I probably would do it more. Um, I think it's kind of fun to be out there. And then you can set a goal. Like I'm not leaving this coffee shop until I get this much done. So it can come in handy there. I used to a lot more, I think. I used to spend a lot more time in coffee shops and I got writing done there. But now I mostly just do it at home. Well, now I understand, I understand that COVID changed that for a lot of people, whether it was bars, coffee shops, parks, whatever public location you used to go to that became weirdly changed. Um, what was my next? Oh, so you do a lot of research. What is that like? So you did a lot of research for airports and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a research librarian professionally. So research like already in my wheelhouse and real easy and a thing I do every day for me, uh, just regardless of any topic. So I was doing this and every time I came up with a question, it was like, okay, this airport's supposed to be really, really big because it's basically in the future and evolved into a whole city. So like, what's the average population of a small city and what's the average size of a big airport? And like, where did those two numbers meet? Like, how big can I make it? Or how many terminals would it have? Okay, like how many terminals do really big airports have now? And what would be bigger than that? And so a lot of my research is like, as I'm writing something, I want an answer to a question. And why would anyone know that? I found as much, uh, the main character is a barista. And so a lot of like barista knowledge or information came up and I just had to go look it up and find articles about it. So I actually have a bibliography for this book. If anybody ever wanted to publish that alongside it, like I basically have a work cited of, of airport news and coffee news. Oh, that's cool. Just when I encounter a question, you know, how it takes place in Lantau Island, which is where the Hong Kong airport is. I'm like, how big is that island? How tall are the mountains? What's the atmosphere there? Is it rainy or is it cold? You know, just, I wanted to write a realistic environment and so research. How did you pick that location? Have you been there before? I'm not, it looks cool. <laughs> Good enough. Yeah. Good enough. Good enough. Well, nailed it, nailed it, like the way it goes. Yep. Well, that's very cool. Um, So, is this book going to be a standalone or is it a series? Like what is your intention after this one is done in your shopping? Because if you go traditional, I mean, I hope, knock on wood, that you get picked up right away. But sometimes that's a little bit of a journey. Mm -hmm. It's not a, it is not a sprint. It is a marathon to do traditional publishing um, sometimes. Uh, what are you going to be working on after that? Well, uh, because I hate myself and I guess don't want to succeed, I didn't think of writing it as a series to begin with the way I should have, because that's much more easy to publish in some environments. Uh, series is kind of the way to go. Uh, I was thinking of it as a single standalone book, and then I would hopefully move on to the next book. If a publisher said spinoffs of those characters, I'd say, yes, absolutely. Let's do that. Uh, I love the characters in it, so I'd have no problem with it, but in my mind, like I want to get it finished as a single thing and put it out there and then be done with it and move on to the next project. And maybe it'll get picked up by HBO or Apple TV or Netflix. And I would be fine with that. Very cool. So do you have in mind the next project you want to work on? I don't. Oh, well, yeah. my friend, multi-book, multi-book or series-based, you got to gear up for that because 
you know, it is, and some publishers are fine with the one book. You don't have to do series. I think when you're, when you talk about series or multi-book, it's more feeding your audience because if you do one and done and it's just one book out there, not saying it's bad or anything, but if there's nothing on the tail end of it, your audience, you have captured for just that one book, right? And not for others. And I think that's why a lot of authors think with what is the next thing. Have you ever thought about publishing your short stories combined? As it like that? Uh, and uh, uh, making your own anthology. Yeah, I have. And the series, so I just started it, not just like a year ago, started a couple of short stories and I realized they all had a similar theme. And I started thinking about putting them out as a book of short stories at some point when I have enough of them. So I do have that in mind and that might be my next project once I can get this one out of my mind. Like this just consumes all of my writing energy. So I can't think that far ahead, but I do have four, I think, short stories that are all very sci-fi, very about like modern technology, but twisted almost in a dark mirror way. And I have notes for another five or six after that, that when I sit down, I'll write freely and happily. And then that would be a collection, would be a book for that. That sounds like a plan. Those are always fun. Um, so have you gotten actual uh, reviews from people that aren't friends or companions of your work? Uh, short of like professors at, when I was in grad school now. Well, that, I think that'll be interesting for you too once you, when you let the babies out into the world to see what, what that's like for that. Um, so, what is your a writing environment like? Do you, you have an office in your place that is closed off and you just do that? How do you get yourself into the writing mood? So there is a, a room in my house that is the everything else. Like it's an office and a spare bedroom and storage and uh, basically anything that needs to happen. I normally, whenever I'm working from home or whenever I kind of am writing, I do it in there. And so there's a desk and I can go in there and shut the door and get as much as I want done. And it is where I do that process if I am at home. Uh, otherwise, if it's like late at night and I stay up really late at night, I will just be sitting on the couch and I might start writing from there just as easy, uh, depending upon how much energy I have or how much time I have. Uh, so that's, that is my process. Calling it an office is uh, that one corner of it's an office, I think. I have a corner of a room to an office. No, great. Uh, writing, no. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say. You can have a writing nook. You can have a little writing desk. Sometimes do, it's better, yeah. especially if you you work from home and stuff like that, having a separate space to do certain writing activities versus having it all be in the same location. You know, that can be, because then you're just, instead of like, I'm creating over here, <coughs> working over here, you're just working. All the time. <coughs> the space on um, what about authors? There was a second part to that question that I don't think I got. I think I missed that. Wasn't there a second part to that question? Mm -hmm. Ah, the vodka's taken over. It's gone by yeah, now. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, yeah. Cheers. Another sip of my vodka, and I'll answer that question. The elderberry and the orange juice washed it right away. Yeah. No. Gone. Gone. Elderberry. Yep. Took it away. Um, yep. No scurvy. Yeah. <laughs> Who inspired you as an author? Who are authors that you love to read? Um, I mean, my original, like the, the kind of earth story of my writing and my understanding of reading or like professional novels. Uh, and this is a very, I understand how stereotypical this is to say, especially for uh, me, is uh, Robert Heinlein. That was my like entrance into science fiction. 
Um, I read all of his novels when I was young. Uh, after that, uh, more further on, Ray Bradbury was really, really critical uh, to my understanding that uh, their writing can be different or can be fun or can accomplish different things. Um, a lot of other ones are just favorite books. Um, you know, uh, in modern kind of like current writers that I find very inspiring, Brian Francis Slattery or Aaron Morgenstern who wrote The Night Circus. Uh, I was really inspired by The Night Circus to just like, know that I could have a vision and go with it. And maybe if it had an extra long word count, that could be fine, even though uh, probably I should edit more. Um, so yeah, I think those are those are all ones that I found really inspirational. Have you gone to like book fairs or conventions and met um, maybe not as well-known authors in your genre? I have uh, a couple of times and I am actually, uh, my work is participating in a comic book fair that's coming up. So I'm hoping to meet some people at that just for fun. Uh, we'll see, but but when when it's in town and when there's an opportunity, I don't go to like the kind of writing conventions that are big deals and make a whole point of it because I'd lose a vacation if I did that. So it's a give and take. But when they're around, I'll yeah, I more meant like um, nerd conventions and things like that where you find sci-fi writers and maybe they're not as well known. They might be local or whatever, but you can go meet them, find sort of work that you may not be presented with because they're not necessarily in a Barnes and Noble or something like that. Yeah, I don't as much as I think I'd like to. And there is the big kind of, San Francisco does our writing like a month, um, which is actually just started, I think this week. And I missed the first opening event, but there is kind of a, a month long writing sort of not a convention and that it's in a convention hall, but they do things in like bars and coffee shops and stuff all over. And I usually go to a lot of events for that and just meet whoever's there. And there so there is a sci-fi one coming up that's called Welcome to the Mothership, I think is like one of the events and it's in a bar in the mission. And they're gonna do a reading and then they'll just kind of hang out. And I like that a lot. So there's, there's several events like that that I go to a year just because they do come up as part of this event. No, the, I think those kind of things are awesome. What about, have you read your stuff besides for school things? Have you gone to any open mics and read your work out loud? I have, yeah. I've gone to open mics and I've been invited to a few readings that I've done. Um, when a story got published or whatever, I've been to readings for that. And it's strange to kind of go to a reading and to do it as, like, I, I've been a teacher, so I I'm used to being in front of a room and kind of navigating that energy and I don't have stage fright or any of those things, but then it's like stand at this podium and read this thing. And like, okay, cool, I can do that. But I'm kind of more just like reading and almost like there's times when I'm almost disassociated while I was at the podium. It's like, no, like I need to, I need to remember that like this is an interactive experience. And so when I really get in that zone, it's great and I love it. Um, and I would do, if anyone ever asked me to do a reading, I'll probably do the reading. Because uh, why not? Like, let's get out there and share that. And there is community for that. And I like that. When you when you did that, I know for a lot of writers, when they do that, and it depends on whether or not you read it out loud before you go in front of people and read it. But I think authors can find um, different pieces to their work when they're actually hearing it out loud, <laughs> even if you're the one reading it, where you're like, wow, this sentence does not make as much sense as it did. <laughs> doesn't work at all. I actually think a really fascinating thing is that I've read, let's say I've read a single piece of work through like writing it and editing it a hundred times. 
And then if you read it out loud, even alone, like you will catch so many mistakes that you didn't mm-hmm. notice or like so many things that you want to rephrase. I think reading out loud is actually really kind of useful as an editing tool. But yeah, I, a thing that I think is really great. fun and weird is that if you're reading in front of a room, I'll just edit in real time and start changing things. I've done that too. Yeah. yeah like the last thing you should do in that formula is like, no, like you've got this product and you've decided it's perfect and you just need to read it to this audience. And like, now, like it's, those sentences are going to be different. If somebody was reading a transcript. So uh, yep. yeah, I think that's kind of an awesome, weird, that this it's always evolving and it's always improving. And if you read it out yep. loud, you do notice those things, right? Yeah, you do feel I've like done that same thing. No, I've yeah. had to do that same thing. Okay, Danielle, I've realized I haven't let you ask a question. Well, you were just so engaging. I just decided I, to let you go with it. My vodka were very engaging. I yeah, I agree, Chris. I do have a question. Since you write in sci-fi, are there any sci-fi movies that you thought were very influential? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, the sci-fi of my like early life yeah. movies that got me into some like Aliens and Predator. Like, that's not the genre I write in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're they're awesome, and I love them, but. More recent ones, uh, there's a few. There's a movie that I really like, and it was not huge, and it did not do, like, giant numbers. It was, you know, straight to Netflix, I think. It was produced by Netflix or one of those. I shouldn't have said that out loud without knowing for sure which one. Um, but it was called Hotel Artemis. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Okay, yes, both of you. Yes. Awesome, love it. That is yeah. a brilliant movie. Like, the filming and, the mm-hmm. like, the colors and the designs are all so good. David Batista, yeah. Yeah, David Batista is amazing in it. Like all these great actors. I mean, everybody in it's a person you recognize. And it's like, mm-hmm. why did you pick this movie? But it's because it's like a really engaging movie. And I think the way it dealt with the idea that like this is so close to now, but just a turn for the worse. And that you could imagine this world and that it is wildly different that they have these in the movie for, for the audience. They have these like hospitals that are private and just for criminals. And so they can go and get patched up without having to worry about getting arrested or whatever. And like, that's a fascinating idea. And the way they wrote it and the way they wrote the characters in that environment and the way they interact with each other was so good. Like that's a movie I could watch again and again. And Very I cool. felt like that subtle kind of, everything here is recognizable, but everything here is nothing that you've seen was mm-hmm. really fun and good and intelligent. And I loved that. Are there any- Very cool when it comes to sci-fi there is extreme heavily science driven that the nerds will go that's not how quantum phasers would work for instance and then there's the lighter side of sci-fi where do you feel most of your stuff falls into um this was one of my big grad school issues um, because most of my class weren't doing science fiction and they weren't so familiar with the tropes or not. And a lot of it was very literature based and very like that kind of like fiction that is serious kind of dramatic emotional fiction. And so there were a lot of questions like that of like, how does this work? I don't understand this or you need to explain this. And I was like, no, they have warp speed. I don't need to explain that. Like it, 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 that will not make the story better. So I always think, well, explaining this or like understanding it or really going into detail about it make the story better or will it just be distracting for a reader who doesn't care about that? I generally fall somewhere in the middle of those because I'm a researcher, I do like to know what I'm doing and I do like to understand it. But a lot of science fiction, like they just have lasers. I don't need uh, seven PhDs in optics to figure that out. I don't want that. Like I want them to have a laser. 
So it depends upon what story I'm writing and what the characters are. I feel like the stories I was describing earlier that are very much part of our technology gone wrong, you need a little bit more basis than that. And you need to understand, like, if you're writing about an app, you need to know how that app would work. But mm -hmm. I would presume that everybody uses apps and we all know how they work more or less. And I'm not interested in the back end of that. So usually I'm willing to let things be realistic enough and let the audience work it out. And it's fine. I don't, I don't need hard science fiction in the sense of everything being described in that like Kim Stanley Robinson way of like, this could happen. Mm -hmm. um, I think if it's realistic enough, it's fine. And the details that get messed up like, or that aren't real or that maybe we haven't figured that out yet, they could happen. I like it, I like it. Okay, Danielle, I'm gonna give you the final question. No pressure, make it good. Wow. I'm gonna go, go, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna go back to that. Um, okay, so we have your movies that you feel are somewhat influential now, but were you a fan of the old Star Trek and Star Wars? Are you a Trekkie? Are you Star Wars? Which one do you feel has maybe influenced you or influenced the sci-fi community most? Okay, so love them all. Uh, love the original, love all of the Star Wars is. Um, mm -hmm. Big fan. Really, I didn't get into the original Star Trek as much. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation was really important. I love that. Uh, I have no problem admitting I'm a nerd there. Uh, I have watched many of the other Star Treks. Uh, but The Next Generation really was influential to me. And I like a lot of the, kind of the characters and the concepts that are played with there. Even the way that like now we sort of have solar punk as a subgenre. Like A lot of that was there in The Next Generation in a way mm -hmm. that... The world could have never had terms or subgenres like that at the time. So as far as influencing me, uh, the Star Warses are much more about action and scenes and like the wars uh, and Star Treks are much more about the people. And I think that's more influential to me and more uh, where I would write. A lot of my writing is about the people in the scene and not the scene or not mm -hmm. so much like the, the violence or the war, the civil war, whatever's going on, as much as how the people are surviving in that life. So uh, the Star Treks would be more influential. Uh, but I love all of those things. Have you caught the Orville from um, Seth MacFarlane? Oh, I love oh, it. I, I am shamed to admit that I have not. I think when it came out, I was either like, I didn't have TV or I was really busy or something. I don't know how I missed the boat the first six months of that. And so I never went back and picked it up. But Everybody says that I need to, and one of these days, I someone's going to make me, and it'll be better. Uh, I have not done it yet. The new season just started, I think. Again, the the latest. There's a break because they had two seasons, and yes, that new horizon. And by Hulu, I think Hulu picked it up. Yep, yes, picked it up. It is so Amazing. well done because it has all of the cheesiness of Trek. Because there's, I don't care which Trek you're watching, there's cheesiness on. It is. Yeah, it has to be. Trek. But it but has the storytelling is amazing. It's the storytelling, but I think that's what Seth MacFarlane, even though he does a lot of humorous stuff, really understands the story and putting a backstory to characters and finding ways for you to love and sometimes hate them at the same exact time. Yes, it's very well done. I agree. Yeah, I've heard yep, you got to pick it up. Those comments from so many people. Yeah, like I've heard a lot about the new season and how it's great. So it's you both agree as well. Very yeah, cool. Okay. I, Shameless cool. self-promotion, Tom, Chris. Where do people follow your writing and stuff? Where do they okay, find? Okay, so um, a uh, wherever they want. I'm I'm out there. Unfortunately, my name is Chris Burns, so it's not a name that's going to be on the top of Google. There's a lot of other 
Hold. My doorbell just rang in that moment in a bit of bad timing. There was um, what? You you went dark there for a second. Yeah, my doorbell just rang and my dog went berserk and someone's probably trying to deliver a package. Uh, so that was the worst possible timing for that. That's okay. That's, That's what okay. happens. Okay, so uh, how, do, how do people find you? Okay, so the answer to the question, hopefully they won't ring it again, is let me quiet my dog down a little bit. Is I have a web page. It's chris-s-burns.com because uh, there was already every version of Chris Burns taken. So chris-s dot or I'm sorry chris-s-burns.com. I also am on Twitter at chris underscore s underscore burns and the same for Instagram. So those are all easy ways to find me. And uh, all of the stories that I've had published are up on my or most of them. There's a few I didn't for various reasons. Are on my website and if there's a link i put that link there so that's an easy way to read anything i've written and uh i do my best to make sure it's accessible because i want people to read this stuff very cool do you have a newsletter that people can sign up for i do not okay you need to get a newsletter by the time this podcast airs because that's okay. how people follow you and then buy your book when it's released in for that reason, yes i have a newsletter tbd yes <laughs> please have a newsletter people can sign up for it um it is but oh and what is the uh working title of the novel that you're working on the working title is temporary citizens which is the name the airport gives to everybody who's taking a flight uh because it's its own country and it has its own it's got incorporated as a country and has its own like immigration process and so everybody that comes through it is legally a citizen as long as they're on a plane very cool i like it well chris it's been really fun to have you on the show today it's been Yay. great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I have been your host, Erica Lance. Our sponsor has been Skunk Brother Spirits, Kubanko DWA10, to check them out. And my amazing co-host has been Danielle Orsino. Please like and subscribe and leave us a feedback. Don't be shy. Just give us your feedback. Awesome. And our guest has been Chris Burns, and we'll see you guys next time. Yay. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.